0: Many Christians have little interaction with and knowledge of the Old Testament apart from the Psalms and maybe a little Proverbs. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 91, the Psalm of protection. Turn to Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 1. Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 1. Now if you try to turn to Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 1, you would realize that there is no such book in the Bible called Hezekiah. (laughs) We need to study the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11, Paul writing to the Corinthian Christians says these things, these things that took place in the Old Testament happened. them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. So what Paul is saying that all the incidents in the Old Testament, Samson, stories of Samson, Daniel in the lion's den, the parting of the Red Sea, all these things that happened were written down and took place as examples for them and as warnings for us. We need to pay heed to them. When Jesus Open the eyes and the minds of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, In Luke chapter 24 verse 27. Turn to Luke chapter 24 verse 27. And it says there, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He was explaining the Old Testament scriptures to the disciples and pointing out, through the stories, through the narratives, and revealing himself to them in the Old Testament. When the Berean Christians met Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, when Paul preached to them, they examined the scriptures every day to see what was said in all this, uh, to see whether what Paul said was true. What were they examining? The Old Testament. Okay, The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Jesus is revealed on every page of the Old Testament if we have eyes to see. So it is imperative that we know and study and encounter Jesus in the Old Testament. For the next several weeks, we're going to focus on certain key events that have taken place in the Old Testament. We're going to piggyback from our uh, preaching series in Acts and we're going to look at Stephen's anointed, Holy Spirit anointed sermon before the Sanhedrin when he was arrested. And we're going to use that sermon as a a rough outline of what to cover in the Old Testament. I'm only doing the introduction today we're having another preacher after me and that person will actually preach the message from the Old Testament all right so let's jump in so we are now in Acts chapter 6 and we see that at every stage of the existence of the church of Jesus Christ the church has faced threats and challenges from within and without The last time we were in the book of Acts in in Acts chapter 6 we saw how that the early church handled the complaint of the Grecian Jews about the widows being neglected in the daily distribution of food. The solution was to assign this task to seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Stephen was one of the men who was chosen. As a result of this solution. Acts chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Wow, the church handled a problem <coughs> excuse me with maturity. The result was great church growth. Continuing on in Acts chapter 6, eight. It says, one of those filled, one of those spirit-filled men was Stephen. And Acts chapter 6 verse 8 says that Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power. He did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. However, opposition arose from some of the Jews of the synagogue of the freedmen. They began to argue with Stephen but could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit. By whom he spoke. Stephen must have been a remarkable, remarkable Christian. So they decided to falsely accuse him of blasphemy. They seized him and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a, a council of 71 men or members with the high priest as chief officer. And in the midst of this hostile crowd that was baying for his blood, and his life, because blasphemy was punishable by death. Stephen, it seems, was filled with the Holy Spirit because his face was like the face of an angel. He encountered God in the midst of persecution. When asked to respond to the charges against him, Stephen began in Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. And this is what he said. Brothers and sisters, listen to me the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. Okay, I'm going to let the next speaker continue from here. God bless you.
1: Hi, as we heard Colin speaking, was it just me or did you also draw a parallel to the events that led up to the crucifixion of jesus yes and what we saw was jealousy envy yes that stood out but most of all they could not withstand the spirit of wisdom that was upon jesus and now upon stephen they couldn't withstand this wisdom of the spirit with which he was speaking so they chose to accuse him of blasphemy Who were these people who accused him? Well, it is said that Caiaphas was officiating as judge. A very identical, quite similar situation to that of Jesus Christ when he was accused. He had 70-odd people in the council with Caiaphas, and the people accused him of blasphemy. They seized him. They brought him to the council. There were false witnesses. He speaks continuously against the holy place, the holy temple, yes, and against the law. That's what they said of him. Jesus ushered in the new, but they couldn't see it. And Stephen sensed the move of God all over again. He did not counter the accusation. He did not defend himself, but he used common history to bring to them, to introduce to them, that the new must take center stage as the old has completed its role. What were we looking at? Stephen basically was saying, look, you had one chance before. Let this second chance coming to you, Typhus, counsel, change your lives. Another opportunity to actually give your lives to God, to choose to put the old behind, and to follow the new. The new must take center stage as the old had completed its role. The reign of grace must must replace law. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, not on this mountain, not on that mountain, but true worshippers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And so in response, yes, to Caiaphas, who says, defend yourself Say what you have to say. Tell us, is this true that you are blaspheming the temple and you're blaspheming the law of Moses? Stephen stands up and says, he searches for that common ground. He searches to tell him that you and I are from the same stock. Our father Abraham. He says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham abraham's not in the temple abraham there was no temple at that time he was not a high priest the temple was built much later he says to him he appeared to our father not just your father but even my father yes and he says basically that god did not have to scream from mount zion or from jerusalem to abraham because abraham was in the land of mesopotamia but he went there And he revealed himself to them, the same God of glory. Yes, that we're talking about today. It's the same God of glory who went to Mesopotamia, not to a temple, not to this large temple. This temple is passe. It's over. It's basically he went to Mesopotamia and he saw. Abraham, he visited him. And basically, he spoke to him and he called him out. So who was Abraham? And I'm going to ask Jess to just share with us a slide if Jess, can you share with us a slide? Yeah. One second. Let me continue with saying, with giving you a little history. Okay. Even as we are doing Abraham. So who was Abraham at that time, his name was Abraham. Okay. Which means the exalted father or the high father, Flood and oil, and when the land had dried up, and he came out, his sons basically went to three different sectors and populated the earth. Having three sons, Japheth went to Europe and Asia. Ham went to the southwest Africa, right, and Shem to the Middle East. Three different places. Abraham's lineage is traced from Shem, okay? His father, Terah, and before them. Ten generations from Shem, right up to Abraham. It's traced down that way. And where were they staying? Well, they were staying in the Ur of the Chaldees. And I'm going to go to the next slide, Jess. Can I see that? The next slide. So he's staying in the ear of the Chaldees, right? And this is modern day Iraq, the land of Mesopotamia. Meso means basically the middle of, middle of what? The middle, basically, between the river Euphrates and the river Tigris. Can you see Shem written out there? Just above it is the Persian Gulf, a little to the north of that, basically, is the whole land of Mesopotamia. And we can see that Japhet went to Europe, Ham went to um, Africa, and Shem has come to the Middle East. Can we change the slide? What we're looking at here basically is that Mesopotamia, the Tigris River, the Euphrates River on one side, and that would be on the left-hand side, and the Tigris River here in between the stretch of land. These rivers all came down, and they joined together just there, near the Earl of the Chaldees. Thus, it was very fertile soil, alluvial soil, rich, basically. What was Mesopotamia like in those days? Mesopotamia was highly developed. It had complex societies. People developed technologies like metalworking, glassmaking, textile weaving, Gems, yes, production of gems, food control, water, storage, irrigation. They were the people of the Bronze Age. But when we look at the terrain, we realize that in contrast to the arid plateau, the very dry plateau, the desert desert of Mesopotamia, yes, Chaldea was very rich in a lot of deposits that came there by the river. So we're studying the call of Abraham, the descendant of Shem, one of Noah's sons, right? In the midst of this whole thing, can I see the next slide? Right. Can you see there very clearly the Ur of the Chaldees, the Euphrates River, the Tigris River, Mesopotamia in between these two rivers? And we have that point over there, the Ur of the Chaldees. One of the things that had happened was that Shem lived in this place. And God says, basically, in Genesis 9, verse 26, blessed, blessed Japheth, was 25 years, because he uh, revealed or exposed the nakedness of Noah when he was drunk. But Shem and Hat and Japheth Backwards walked backwards with a sheet in their hand, and covered the nakedness of Noah and so God says, "Blessed be them now shem Abraham was from this line and lineage, but Ham and his entire clan had spread from Africa westwards uh, sorry eastwards towards the ur of the Chaldees, and they were idolatrous people, they were filled with a whole lot of un- natural idolatries, things that were horrible and terrible. And in the midst of this whole idolatry um, that was taking place, Abraham seemed to keep himself pure and holy. Abraham seemed to push away the idolatry that was there around him. Could we have said the same thing about Terah? Terah had three sons, Nahor, Abraham, and Haran. And Haran had died out there, leaving his son Lot to be looked after, basically, by Terah. And what we're seeing over here is a place where Terah was an idolater. We see over here also that Nahor had uh, his son Laban. And Laban basically was one person who loved his idols. So when Rachel took his idols, he was very angry with her. And so there were idolaters out here. In the midst of it, always in the midst of a difficult situation, God provides one man. He did it with Noah. He did it again with Abraham. One man. And in this time, it was Abraham. And so God, basically, God is confident of him. He knew him already. He's the carrier of great blessings. He's to be the carrier of great blessings. He's to be the father of all nations. He's to be basically the faithful, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, the confidant of God. He's to be the, the father of men of a, great, uh, of a very great nation, the pursuer of righteousness, the carrier of blessings. And he was a haggler. He bargained even with God. He was a chieftain. He was skilled. He was a shepherd. This is all Abraham for you. Okay? And the Bible takes a lot of effort in various places to reveal each of these characteristics. 299 times, Abraham has been mentioned again and again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. So, what we see basically is that this period of time is before the law could come. And Moses is writing this in the book of Genesis. Abraham was a confident confidant of God, OK? God didn't hide his secrets from him. God shared them with him. That was how important he was. But this was 2,000 years BC, before Christ, in the era of the Chaldees. What kind of a place was it? Luxurious. Yes, it was a place basically very modernized, right? What we are looking at is that Abraham, within that place, kept himself isolated from the idolatry that surrounded him. God meets him there. God says to him, when he was age 70, when he was age 70, you know, when we look at the genealogies, oddly enough, in Genesis 11, we find that they make known to us that Reu, who was one of the, from the lineage of stem of Shem, sorry, he was 32 years old when his first son was born. And Serag was 30 years old when his firstborn, when he, when he had his first child. And Nahor, uh, basically, who was the father of Terah, was 29 years. You can imagine now. Yes, Terah was 70 when his first son was born, and it wasn't Abraham. Abraham was the youngest son. He had two before them, Nahor and Laban. Right. Uh, Sorry, Nahor and Haran. So what are we looking at, basically? He is 70 years old, and God appears to Abraham, and he doesn't have any son. And Stephen says it beautifully, the God of glory, the God of glory, Appeared to our father, your father Caiaphas, and my father, our father. He appeared to our father Abraham and he set that common ground so that Caiaphas would be able to relate with what he was talking about. His one intention, Stevens, was to take the lives of these men and to tell Caiaphas, You have a chance to change. You have a chance to acknowledge Jesus and to come from the old into the new. He also told Caiaphas, look, it's just not this temple that God is in. He basically visited Abraham in Mesopotamia and he lives with us today. So, uh, you know, so he calls him out. A loud call, a specific call. And he says, get thee out of thy country. Wow. Wow. How many of us are ready to just... Take our bags and go. And go where? We don't know. We don't. Get out of that country and then what? Leave that family. And then what? And leave your father's house. So from broad, narrower, narrower, specific. He says, Any wish buddy who wishes to come follow me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and come after me. The call is specific. The call is clear. The call demands that you and I decide to follow Jesus. And Abraham in that day lifted himself from where he was and decided to follow God. Clean, uncompromising, but that was not all. God knows us how frail we are. And he says so. Come out of the country. Come out of your people. Come out of your family. And then he gives that promise. And he says, I will, a creation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And whoever blesses you, I will bless them. Whoever dishonors you, I will curse them. So Abraham went. But what we see here is that Abraham was not perfect. And he came out. But he came out with lock, stock, and barrel, and family, and kin. And he said yes to the first part, I'm coming out. But to his kindred and his family, he took with him the possessions. He took with him the people. He took with him his father. Right, The call is difficult. But I want to say one thing very clearly to you out here, we have to be aware of terrors in our life that make us compromise, that make us only listen to half of what God has to say to us, that makes us feel easy about things, that makes us comfortable, but the call was never for comfort, right? And so Abraham in his imperfection, is called out of God, mingled with partial obedience, For five years, he went from the Chaldees to Haran, a place that Terah probably named after his dead son. Yes, he didn't go to Canaan. He stayed there. And you know, God did not speak to him there for a very, very long time. Though his promises stood, God didn't speak to him. What happened was, Abraham had this really great encounter with God. It couldn't leave his mind, but he slowly, it slowly began to get a little dimmer and dimmer as he partially obeyed God. Obedience in its totality, if it is not done, will lead you into a place of compromise and compromise will lead you to death. And there is no in between. There's no half of anything. It's all or it's nothing. That's what my father told me the time when I came to Jesus. He said, Debbie, if you wish to follow Jesus, it's all or nothing. There's no gray area. There's only black and white. And I believe that was the best advice he gave me. Because today, if I'm still here, it's because I remember that whenever I'm faced with a situation, I don't look for black. I don't look for white. I mean, I don't look for an in-between part to try and make my way and squiggle through. I look for the white. I look for the clarity. I look for the clearness. I look to obey God. I'm not always successful. It does take me time. It does take me time. And I want to share with you a very small incident that happened on the third day when I was in um, the hospital in the US, uh, just sitting in front of a child. I did not know whether he would live or not live, but I knew the word of God. And so every doubt that came, I just shoved out of that window. I just clearly, and if the focus just, hung onto the word that said that he would quicken the dead and call to life that which didn't exist. But on that third day, I remember sitting there watching my son and the monitors and everything telling me that things were really getting bad. And God said to me, Debbie, do you want it as you receive the word, an immediate healing of David, or will you allow me to use this healing for my glory? And you know, I'm sad to say I didn't have an immediate response. It took me a little while. It didn't take me days, but it took me a few hours. And I thought it through. And I thought it through. And I realized that my life is not my life. Like Abraham knew. He knew that his builder and foundation, the foundation and the builder and architect was God. And that his It was never going to be here. I couldn't compromise at that point. And I said to the Lord, It's all about you. It's not about me. So give me the grace to go through this. That's all I'm asking you. And I said to the Lord, Take your time. Do what you want. I don't need an immediate healing. It's difficult. It's difficult. In the midst of all of this, God told Abraham to come out. But the door was never closed to Abraham, even in his disobedience. This was the era of grace. Abraham lived in the era of grace. If it was the law, he would have been punished and also killed for his disobedience. But this was the era of grace, the dispensation of grace. And God allowed for that door to be left open. And time passed and terror died. And Abraham again began to remember call of God. And so he took up all his possessions, but he still didn't leave Lot. He went with them. And God had to cause a situation to actually part Lot from Abraham ultimately, but God saw his heart. And that's our God. And that's our God, right? That's what Stephen was telling Caiaphas, that we don't have to be perfect. It's not this temple of perfection that you're looking at. Right? It's Abraham, our father, the God of glory appeared to him. He wasn't perfect. Right? And so he leaves. It was 700 miles from Ur of Chaldees to Haran, and from Haran, another 700 miles. Yes, down to Syria, and from Syria down to Egypt, another 800 miles. So here we come across Abraham as a man who was faced with a very big challenge, with a call, with a promise. He got up and he left and he went. Abraham was not perfect. Right? But the minute he got up and he went, on his way to Canaan, God spoke to him that very same chapter in Genesis, and he says to him, and I will read that, he says, and now God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. To the land that I will show you. He never said, I'll give it to you. He said, I'll show it to you. But you go to that land. He promised him nothing, not a foothold, not a single thing. His obedience was uncompromising. Okay, that's how it was given. And your kindred and your father to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great and that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who you bless and and, and, who you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall you be blessed. And Abraham went. Yes, Abraham was 75 years when he departed. His name was still Abram. It had not changed to Abraham. At 99, it was then that it changed. That was almost 24 years later. Right Now, I want to come back to just not the call, but the promise. Because in Genesis 12, it says over there that when Abraham obeyed God, he said, unto your offspring, I will give you this land. When Abraham changed and obeyed, God promised him the land. From showing him the land, he promised him the land. Right In Genesis 17, was 8, it also says, I will gift your offspring all of the land. I will make you a great nation. Today, Israel is a contender, silent, strong, impenetrable fortress with the world's biggest economies backing it. You and I are the sons of Abraham as many as the sands of the sea. That's that's what God promised. He said, at Bethel, he said, as the dust of the earth. At Mamre, he said, as the number of stars in the sky. I will multiply you exceedingly, is what he said in Genesis 17, verse 2. Exceedingly, that was the promise. I will make you a great nation. Great is a very small word. But if you understand how far it has stretched today to include you and me, well, that's wow. Says, so shall your seed be. Galatians 3. Yes, what says verse 7 says, You and I being in Christ, we are then the Abraham's offspring. Do you see? Paul is linking two things out there. He's telling us who we are, he's joining us to Abraham. So that's how huge a nation we are talking about. He says, I will give it to you for an everlasting possession. That's what he told Abraham again of Canaan. Yes. I'll make you a great nation. Are you serious? That's what Abraham must have said to God. Are you serious? I'm 75. I'm 70 years old. I don't have everybody else at 32 and 26, 29 and 30 already having children. I am past 70. I don't have a child. Are you joking that I'm going to be a great nation? But remember that the promise of God comes with provision. And the provision was, he says over here, I will make you a great generation and I will bless you. And in that blessing was the promise of Isaac. And in that blessing was the tenacity, the perseverance, the strength, the hope to stretch from that time to 24 years later until the promise came to pass and Isaac was born. You know I laugh at myself, at the age of about, probably about um, 18 years, we had a prophet who came to Pune, and uh, at that time, Timothy John was there, and he said to me, you'll be a, and you know what, I'll tell you what my reaction was, teacher, I despise that occupation, I don't want to have anything to do with it, I'm not interested, that's the last thing that I ever want to be. Do you know what happened? <laughs> 1999 came and I joined here in Nani school. That was almost 22 years later. 22 years later. And God made me so fulfilled in the job of a teacher. God waits for us. He's patient. He's loving. He's kind. I will bless you," he said, "I will bless your seed, I will bless you and he said, "I will be your shield, I will be your protection. I will amazingly exceedingly reward you. I will give you great things. God gives us everything we require to move through. The next thing he did was he gave him a promotion, so he promised him and then he provided for him blessing, and the next thing was a promotion. He said, I'll make your name great. I won't just keep you as you are. I won't just give you this land. I won't just promise you things for yourself, but I'll make you your name really great. How great? We know that Abraham was very rich. He had livestock. In chapter 13, verse 2, I think it says there that he was very rich in gold, in silver, in livestock, greatness, but greatness was yet to come, okay? How was it yet to come? It's 3,000 years later and the people of Israel still call him the father of Israel, the patriarch of Israel. 3,000 years later, they have the same language. They have the same culture. They have the same books, the five books, the Torah. They have the same patriarch, Abraham, right? 3,000 years later, that's the nation. His faithfulness is forever. He will fulfill his plans. Isaac was born. Yes, it was a promotion from just being Abraham Abraham, Abraham to Abraham. Promotion. So if you're going through a bad season, it's only for a period of time. God's going to promote you because his promise will be fulfilled. His promise will happen so that you will be a blessing. And you know what? God didn't stop there. He said, I will... Make your name great. And then you know what he said? So that you will be a blessing. You'll be a blessing. How can you be a blessing? He promised his presence with Abraham. He became his friend. He shared his secrets. He became, he said, Abraham, you're my confidant. You're someone I love. You're someone whom I've seen faithfulness in. Yes, you told a lie. Yes, you told another lie. Yes. But I'm still with you. I'm still with you. I don't retract because the promise that I give to you is the word. And I am that word to you. I am that word to you. So if you've got a word, hold on to it. Cling on to it. God's bringing it to come, to, to pass. And he will promote you as you obey him, as you give your all to him. Right. So with it came his presence and his protection. And his protection. So there was the promise. There was the provision. The promotion. And the presence that would keep that promotion going forever and ever and ever and ever. Till today and into eternity. Yes. Because we are waiting for the time to come. Yes. And Abraham will be there to greet us when we get to heaven. I can tell you that. Very very, very confidently, right? Protection. What did he say? Anybody who blesses you, I will bless them. Anybody who dishonors you, I will curse them. And Pharaoh nearly lost all of his entire harem of ladies and all of his people, almost everything he lost. And he said, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? And he just let Abraham go with his life and with Sarah and with everything. And she was left untouched. And the whole situation, you know better than anything else. Protection. Protection. Presence. Yes. I want to close with saying, basically, all families of the earth will be blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Through the obedience of Abraham, I am blessed today. From there, came to us the understanding of believing through faith, believing by faith. The dispensation of faith was revealed in that time. Then came the law, but God said, no, we're going back there. The winds of the Holy Spirit and of change have come. And Stephen starts his entire defense. He's not defending it. He's saying, here's an opportunity. Understand the God who has promised you lots who's provided for you, who's going to promote you if you will forget that you're the high priest and this is the temple and you will worship Jesus. Right? And ultimately, we know that we have the best of God and the protection of God. We are the children of Abraham. Amen. Amen. Yes. Can we bow our heads in prayer and just claim the promises of God in our life? Thank you, Lord, for Mm. Abraham and for his entire life that you've just placed right before. In the details of it all, Lord, we see ourselves in the not so good and in the good, Lord. Lord, we pray that every day of our life, we would remember your promises to us, your provision to us, that you will bless us. You have said that, Lord, that you will bless us and you have blessed us and you continue to bless us with every spiritual blessing blessed be the God who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing Lord there's nothing that you have given us everything for life and for godliness all because of one person who planned to get out to leave everything and to come after you Lord and in this faithfulness we see the need for faithfulness and for obedience Lord bless us Lord as we go on this journey hold our hands tight maybe remember Abraham and Lord, may we live that very victorious life in mm. Amen. Thank you so much, Debbie.